Properly interrogate Rambo 3, we need to first ask why Afghanistan? Why does Afghanistan play such an outsized role in our recent history, in the 20th century, in fact, the 19th century, and all the way back, going all the way back to Alexander? Well, let's pull up a map of the region. As you can see here, the Soviet Union takes up the entire northern half of, I, I don't have to tell you, you guys, where the Soviet Union is. And as you can see down here toward the, toward the bottom, here you've got your Kazakhstans and uh, so forth. And then you've got uh, Afghanistan. This area here that looks like a purple ocean is actually Iran. This is a very weird projection, this map. Here's Afghanistan. You see it's a landlocked country. And then here's Pakistan. Pakistan has a coastline here on the Arabian Sea, borders with India. Now, as you probably know, India and Pakistan were once part of a British uh, empire here. And uh, the British in the mid-1800s, uh, they, uh, they were very afraid that uh, the Russians, pre-Soviets, had designs on this route here to the Arabian Sea because, uh, as you can see, the Russians do not have a warm water port uh, across their whole breadth, except for the Black Sea region here, but that requires that they go through uh, the, uh, the Dardanelles there at uh, Turkey. The British were very concerned about this, and so they instituted uh, what they called the Great Game, which was the geopolitics of this whole region, trying to block the Russians from uh, from getting a port down here on the Arabian Sea. Well, uh, the Russians actually had no designs on this region. Uh, the British were in a great game with themselves. Uh, but at a certain point in this, uh, in this time period, um, they, um, in order to control the Pashtun uh, uh, group of uh, Afghanis and the Baluchi Afghanis who live down here, they, uh, they created this border, which they called the Durand Line, which now forms the uh, official border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, which actually cuts the population of the Pashtun people and the Baluchi people in half. There were a lot of kings and various uh, different kinds of um, governments for about 150 years. Let's fast forward to the 1970s, uh, during which period... Um, we had, uh, we had a, a situation here in Iran uh, where a Shah uh, was deposed and an Iranian, um, or a, I'm sorry, a, a Muslim uh, government was installed. And, uh, and uh, well, let's go back to 1947. Yeah, there was a, a, a partition here between uh, India and Pakistan uh, creating two separate countries. And the Afghanis uh, did not actually recognize uh, some of this border here, the Durand Line, they felt like it was, uh, it had been imposed by uh, the British, which it had. 
Uh, and so the Russians, um, during the uh, Cold War, they started to have a, a kind of an interesting strategy, which was they believed that the Baluchi people here uh, were not loyal to Pakistan. And that if they could supply these people with arms and kind of get a rebel movement going, and if Afghanistan became a kind of a Soviet socialist republic, uh, they could actually create a, a condition where the Baluchi uh, rebelled against Pakistan, formed Baluchistan, and uh, then the Soviet sphere of influence would go all the way to the Arabian Sea. Uh, and in the geopolitics of, uh, of the 1970s, of course, the Americans did not want the, the Russians to have uh, authority over this because this is the Persian Gulf here. You might have heard of it. And so, uh, so this area became a contested area in, in the Cold War. And you may have been asking yourselves, oh, what did Jimmy Carter do? Well, the Jimmy Carter uh, needed to um, contain the Russians here. And at a certain point in 1979, the Russian uh, army, there there'd been a several uh, coup d'etat. The Russians invaded Afghanistan. Carter, uh, in maybe the most hardline thing he did in his presidency, um, uh, boycotted the Olympics. Which, as we know, shamed the Russians into, uh, well, and into uh, prolonging the war for another 10 years. It turned out the Baluchi people were not interested in rebelling against Pakistan. And the Russians became mired in, a, uh, in, in what is... Uh, called their Vietnam, which was trying to control uh, the various uh, different tribal agencies in, in uh, Afghanistan. You're, you're probably familiar with this from the, from the news. Um, so this is the setting of, um, of our film today, the 1988's Rambo 3. Uh, and so uh, we're going to, we're going to journey here with our friend Rambo uh, to see uh, what the conditions were on the ground uh, right there right before Glassnost made all of this irrelevant and uh, with that let me uh, welcome my co-host to the stage for Friendly Fire this is Rambo 3 Welcome to Friendly Fire, the war movie podcast that, unlike God, will show no mercy tonight. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Adam Pranica. All right. Yeah. And I'm John Roderick. That was very informative, John. It's very confusing. It's super confusing. I was reading the Wikipedia article about the S Soviets invading Afghanistan, and I was totally confounded. I'm glad you did that. Well, it it really got you off the hook for writing an intro tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We're used to thinking of, of uh, the, the, the geopolitical situation being a kind of left-right problem, right? Because the Silk Road ran through that whole region, and it was control over the Silk Road that was what made Afghanistan so important for thousands of years, but then the Russians went through this imperial period. Right. And they were like, well, we could just probably take over everywhere. And the British were like, 
And actually, Napoleon had a plan at one point to, to, in collaboration with the Russians, take over India. This was this this is why the British were freaked out because it was actually a Napoleonic plan. The Russians couldn't have done it on their own. Uh, there's a line in this movie about how most people can't find Afghanistan on a map, and I was thinking about how Carol Co. Famously set many of their films in war-torn countries that don't actually exist. Right. And I wondered how much the Carol Co. influence on the movie-going public of the 1980s maybe led people to believe that this was another fictional war for Rambo to be involved in. <laughs> I, I wonder if that led to Carol Co.'s downfall as a production company, this insistence on fictional or real countries that no one can find on any maps. This is the most expensive movie ever made at the time of its release. It had to be terrifying. Yes, it was 60. <laughs> A chill goes through the audience. 60-ish million dollars green-lighted budget, but they lost their director two weeks into production and field promoted their first unit director who had never directed a film before into that position. I cannot imagine how terrifying it must have been to be a producer yeah. and to watch that happen. Well, and also... All, uh, they lost three DPs, too. Like, all, all the DPs walked with the director after two weeks, <laughs> and they had started shooting. They and were fired by Stallone. They didn't walk. No, I mean, they walked with the, the fired director. Well, I know, I mean. but my, my understanding was that, that, that uh, Stallone showed up for the first day of filming, and all the Russian bad guys had been cast by the director and he'd gone to Israel and like cast a bunch of volleyball players. And Stallone was like, this is not Top Gun. These are too beautiful. This is Rambo these guys, these are not scary Russians. These are like beautiful Israelis. The, I don't know why Sylvester I'm doing Stallone. a Bernie Sanders voice, but. <laughs> Stallone's the such top a great- 1% of beautiful Israelis. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren's like one of the most beautiful men in the world and Stallone cast him in Rocky Five, Rocky Four. Like, what does he know about? Yeah, but Dolph is like seven feet tall and these, these guys were all like 5'8 and shapely. So, so Stallone was like, do over. <laughs> My question is, when you think about this being the most expensive movie made at the time, where did they spend the money? Because well, this movie looks like shit. I think that first director probably took most of the cocaine home with him. Yeah. They have... Two helicopters that they use in every yeah. scene. It's and, two for eight. And one of, the, one of them is like a French one that they stuck some wings on <laughs> that was like left over from Red Dawn. And the other one was like the other one. Like You didn't you think the helicopter scenes were cool in this movie? I thought they were some best in breed helicopter scenes. They were you see how low exciting. they're flying? These helicopter scenes were trash. <laughs> Whoa. The, the entire film hinges on the final scene where the helicopter faces off with a tank <laughs> and somehow the colonel forgets that the helicopter can go up and is literally shot down by a tank firing forward. Like he, just lost, he lost a game of copter tank chicken. <laughs> this movie is Moby Dick. <laughs> this is the film paper I've been waiting for. How there is was, this movie Moby Dick? There was no way he was going to either allow Rambo to live or live himself. One of them were, was going to die. Oh, the colonel is Ahab? Yeah, that's wow. yeah, that's it. Rambo's the whale? Was that unclear? It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's because Rambo's always wet in this movie. That's what makes him the whale. <laughs> 
does have a point. But the thing Wet is, and, and gasping. It's a hell of a combination. Ahab doesn't go against the whale and uh, uh, thinking like, how can I die in this scene? I've never read Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, you I think really, it's a book about blowing up the damn ships. I thought it was about a guy driving his ship into a whale and <laughs> hoping one of them would die. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of Rambo piloting that tank, I have a goof. Uh, would you guys like to hear something that a, a pedant uh, quibbled with about this film? There were a lot of these. It was hard to pick. But Rambo is a former U.S. Army Special Forces enlisted soldier who would have learned many combat skills while in the army. However, these would not have included the operation of Soviet tanks and helicopters, both of which he operated expertly in this film. I think that's a quibble. Right? Yeah, I mean, don't you think they all kind of fly the same? Yeah, it's got, you got the lever, you got the rod, you got the ball. It's a, it's a rod and lever situation. Yeah. You, you grab the hammer, you work the sickle. Yeah. <laughs> I also just think that like Rambo probably got into some shit in Vietnam where he was hijacking yeah like happened all Soviet the time Soviet built material oh, wasn't sure. wasn't Petovsky's helicopter in in First Blood Part 2 a Russian yeah. supposed it, to be a Russian in fact, it was the same one used in this film same exact one yeah. I love the like armatures of helicopters that they show after one is like supposedly blown up they just got like they just did like a wireframe but there's like no engine block there's no like yeah. there's no like soft material left all that burned up yeah <laughs> you know i was driving an audi the other day and if you put the yeah, I know, well <laughs> i was driving an audi and uh I tried to put it into park with the lever right mm -hmm. and uh the lever the if, you, if you push if you push it all the way forward <laughs> it, the car goes into reverse because park now is a button yep and so, button. so I so and so I put it, you know, I put it in park, and uh, the car went careening backwards, and yeah. I felt eighty-five years old. <laughs> did, did you roll over like a baby in a in a basket? <laughs> but but thinking about Rambo flying the Russian uh, helicopter or getting in the Russian tank, I mean, that's basically all it would take, right? Right. That park is reverse, and all of a sudden the whole yeah, movie fucked. goes to shit. Well, so and actually, he's like I'm, the I'm the, ca the helicopter is damaged too. Like he. He gets a graceful crash landing out of a helicopter. He's never. They never sat had time to refuel it either. Remember, like that's the whole reason that they bring the the chopper to the base. But he doesn't know that. I know they weren't going to get very far. Is my point? Yeah. The number of dumbass things in this crashed. movie. Maybe that's why they crashed. No, they really shot up that chopper. That's true. It had smoke pouring out of it. Yeah. But I can't believe that we're going to spend any more time talking about this pedantic problem, given the fact that the. Well, whole I'm movie sorry I brought it up, John. <laughs> <laughs> this whole movie is a hot steaming pile of trash. <laughs> it's really amazing how like like a right wing filmmaker like Sylvester Stallone like will tiptoe up to why it's a bad idea to fuck with Afghanistan and then like 20 years later be like Rah, let's go. <laughs> this was one of those films that I mean there was there was a conflict in Afghanistan between that country and Russia during production, and that conflict did not exist when the film came out. That's right. So this is 1988. This movie came out in May, and in January, the Soviet Union, under the leadership of brand new Mikhail Gorbachev, he wasn't new. He was new in the job, but announced that they were 
going to uh, they were the the Soviet army was going to pull back out of Afghanistan, and by the time the movie came out, troops were in full withdrawal. So you can leave Afghanistan. Yeah, I was thinking wistfully about how the Soviets' war there lasted hmm. a mere nine years. Wow. Well, they left, and then the Taliban took over right yeah. afterwards. So that if that doesn't sound familiar, hmm. yeah. Hard to unring the bell of imperialism. <laughs> that is exactly the tepid applause <laughs> that comment deserves. I thought that was going to go over great. Yeah, this I is know. the town for that I line. <laughs> Yeah, this is San Francisco, right? If we were if we were in the East Bay, maybe they'd all be cheering for it. There they are. Why? I was born you... in San Francisco, John. I grew up in Oakland. You don't need to tell me. You know what, my friend? Those San Franciscos and Oaklands don't exist That's anymore. That's true. There's no there there. I'm afraid. I'm afraid you would have to go. I don't know where you'd have to go to Baluchistan to find that kind of culture anymore. Call me Gertrude Stein. There's no there there, Oakland. <laughs> Fuck, come on. I'm surprised to hear that you dislike this film so much because I remember you sort of liking First Blood Part Two, and this is the same movie. <laughs> you remember incorrectly, I did not like First Blood Part Two. I did not like it, Sam, I am. Hmm. They didn't have blue lights. Everyone First can Blood agree on First Blood, though. <laughs> this movie, so this is a, this, uh, Ben was, Four years old when this movie came out. <laughs> but Adam was in the sweet spot. Adam was 12 years old. No, yeah. 11 That's years what old. you want to be and watching so this film for the this first movie time. Is, this movie is in Adam's DNA like a terrible virus that bonded to some part of his brain. Yeah. It's like that stuff that you get from a cat box that makes you love cats. <laughs> Toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis, except he has it for Rambo. <laughs> I think you're, you can be of a certain age where a film is just shown on the USA Network every weekend on a loop. And this is one of those movies. Always on. <laughs> it's just the taste of macaroni and cheese just rises up in your gullet. Yeah. Did you, did you like this movie more than First Blood Part 2? No. I like First Blood Part 2 a lot more. Oh, man. One of the other pedants was like, this movie's title is incorrect. Yeah. There's technically no Rambo 2. Therefore, it cannot be called Rambo 3. One of the trivia bits that I read, I don't know how this qualifies as trivia, but it said, this is the Lawrence of Arabia of Rambo films. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it's trivia. combination. <laughs> <laughs> You can't just say that and make it trivia. It's so hard to try and place the gibberish of this movie in what was admittedly a gibberish moment in history, right? Everything was changing in this moment. The USSR was going away. Uh, everyone was, I mean, the CIA had been funding the uh, Mujahideen for, uh, well, for the entire 1970s and 1980s as a way of destabilizing the region and keeping the Russians at bay. And this was Charlie Wilson's war. Right? It was. But also this was right in the middle of the Iran Contra. Uh, this is Oliver North was actually on TV during this whole period um, trying to get this crazy arms for hostages business going like the whole thing was none of it made any sense. You couldn't uh, uh, Reagan. This was the this was the year that 
George Herbert Walker Bush got elected president, it just felt like, well, fuck it, <laughs> right? Like, who who knew, right? Who knew what what side anybody was on? And then this movie comes out, and the thirty million people that watched it came out the other side knowing less. Hearing George H.W. Bush's name said makes me remember that the name of Sheep Horse, like the real name of it, is Bush Ghazi. Wow. Right? What? What? Bush Ghazi. <laughs> sounds like a scandal. I know. That's what I'm saying. Um, the previous film was about Rambo like going and single-handedly winning Vietnam in retrospect. And I feel like that is a tough act to follow. He keeps getting invited to Vietnams by Troutman. Yeah. But the, like he's the one that like is the most against just the idea of this as a Vietnam. Like he he really scolds the the Russian colonel about it. At the start of this movie, he's actually in the movie Deer Hunter somehow. <laughs> like they just full on imported Deer Hunter over except they lost a lot of fidelity in the in the transfer, right? Yeah. It was like really compressed and super like pixelated. Well, and they cut out the 45 minute wedding scene. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would have preferred. Yeah. Uh, but There's we all Spetsnaz guys at it in this. In we this watched version. this like crazy, crazy stick fight. This crazy like adrenal stick fight. And Is that a Philippine thing? Did they just kind of like take that from another culture and put it in Thailand? And or is, that, is there a Thai version of that? Anyone want to take a gander? Or do, I don't think they would have done that. Do, <laughs> <laughs> do the Thai people fight with sticks? Everybody has stick fights. Everyone. Neighborhood stick fight stick expert fights. in the audience. Hell yeah. I feel like that's how we should resolve most conflicts in the world. Get Poor. the two longest haired dudes, <laughs> give them both magic wands, and set them against one another. Peter McDonald shot that scene himself. That's That was one of the downsides to uh, being field promoted to director. Like He didn't have a DP at the time, so, so he was he on camera and he got hit with sticks all the time. It was not fun. He'd never been given a tripod before. <laughs> that, scene is, that scene is really amazing because of how close the extras are to the action. And it's that, that pan from like uh, calm water in the background of John Rambo and just following him into that riot of a, of a room was, I thought, really well done. Yeah, that's an amazing shot. Well, that explains part of the budget. <laughs> <laughs> but then he's uh so first he's in a helicopter and then he's in a hovercraft right he then he's he ends up up in the he's at a monastery he, he's done he had his war he doesn't want to take on this new war what was the thing about the hovercraft <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry i was How having, is, a, having a stroke did you did you feel like there was a sea story with kurtwood smith in this film that was edited out. Well, so we see in the in the trailer, which none of the three of us had seen before, Kurtwood Smith has like three more lines in the trailer than he has in the movie. That whole like, what do you want to do? Bring in Delta Force? That's not in the movie. It's in the trailer. I felt like Kurtwood Smith had what well, probably had his own movie here. You gotta feel like his character is excited to not get someone out of sex prison finally. <laughs> like that's gonna be your only job when you work at the American Embassy in Thailand, right? Like, God. Another fucking perv. He's the CIA section chief. For yeah, for sex dirty crimes. Businessmen. Yeah, Dick Wolf should make that show. 
But when you see Kerwood Smith appear on the screen as a CIA agent, you're thinking, yeah, right. here we go. This yeah. is the guy that I wanted in this job. And especially late 80s Kurtwood Smith. Anything goes with that guy. Yeah. Like he he, he looks like a light bulb with a mustache. <laughs> but then we never get him again. Like I, I, want, I want him so much more than I want Troutman. Troutman is just like a neck waddle with a fucking toupee. Who at the Pentagon is sending Troutman at his age on a commando raid, like an unsanctioned commando raid in a country we're not at war with? It's crazy. Like, think about what he was doing in First Blood. Like, what is he doing being sent out to uh, to the Pacific Northwest to, to save John Rambo? And then they stick him on this mission? I don't yeah. think he's very well liked. <laughs> Well, he's he's wa- a he's full just, bird colonel. He's he's walking around the streets like in his like dress greens. Yeah, like hey guy, get a Hawaiian shirt like everybody else in the fucking <laughs> U.S. military. Uh, God, that has got to be so fucking hot walking around. It's a Bangkok. wool uniform, and Oof. you know, and his neck is hanging over the front of it. Like, <laughs> dude, seventy five years old. He should have been in. A, he should have been like well. He should have been in Thailand for a different reason. <laughs> There's the scene where it's like early morning in Bangkok and still nighttime in Afghanistan and Rambo's like sitting on the roof of the temple brooding and Colonel Troutman is is like driving jeeps through the Afghan countryside and getting getting the Russians get the drop on them. That scene is the most confusing action scene we've seen in Friendly Fire because 25 guys get shot and like go through like backward through the windshield of their Jeep and you think it's Troutman every single time <laughs> because they're all wearing the same shit. <laughs> it's like, wow, shit, they killed Troutman right in the 15 minute mark of this movie. Which is what they should have done. Every time they killed Troutman, I was like, yes, finally. This movie would be so much cooler if Rambo was not trying to rescue Troutman, but was just trying to go kill the person that killed Troutman. Trying to avenge Troutman. That's your movie. Mm. Who could, what's he going to do? Re- rescue Troutman so that he can become a sex tourist in Thailand? <laughs> Troutman's arc is over, man. I forget not everyone has seen this film 40 times like me. Like I was never confused about that opening scene. But yeah, why don't you kill Troutman? Should That's an interesting uh, path not taken. Kill Troutman and put Kirkwood Smith in there somehow. It's not like you it's not like the script could be any worse. <laughs> I think that that's not really the ethos you want to approach punching a script up with, though. (laughs) Can't be worse. (laughs) But no, you could see him come in and, you know, Kirkwood Smith, Kurtwood or Kirkwood? Kurtwood. Kurtwood Smith. He he already has the look and feel of somebody that's going to fuck with Rambo, right? He's got the whole, like... He's the he is he's, the guy in Washington that that screws Rambo over. Right? He seems like this film's Murdoch, and that's what we don't get in this movie yeah. is that sense of betrayal from the higher ups, which is what made Rambo two the great film. Also, <laughs> you think it is? Weren't you surprised that like you remember the end of First Blood Part two? Like Rambo shoots up that entire base, almost kills Murdoch, and then he just walks into the sea. <laughs> What that should, happened? That should have been the end of it. <laughs> what happened between that film and here? He swam to Thailand. 
I want to know. He shot, he shot up all the TRS-80s that were driving the U.S. military and swam to Thailand. <laughs> it shouldn't be a mystery. I think about this all the time. Well, you know, I'm writing my, my in-between Rambo 2 and 3 fan fiction. We're, that's right. We're, we're ripe for a reboot. We could have uh, Bemberdick Cumberbutch uh, be like Rambo the, the interregnum. He would have to put on... 80 pounds of muscle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect for, uh, for Shia LaBeef. Oh, yeah. He could be great in this. He can be, do anything, that yeah. guy. He could be. He could be great at anything. I think I we just sold guy. it in the room. <laughs> this is a good pitch. Um, I did a little math. I think that Rambo blew up 1% of all of the helicopters the Soviets lost in this nine-year war. It's pretty good. <laughs> One uh, one same helicopter at a time. <laughs> you would think the one that he shoots with the arrow, the rotor wash would have pushed down, right? I was shocked that that, that arrow stayed true. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> Three quarters of the way through this movie, Rambo, who has nothing but a headband and a loincloth, pulls an arrow and a, and a, he and was a compound wearing, bow. He was wearing the... the Kit the whole time, John. What? Pay fucking attention to the movies we watch. He ducks. He ducks under all the all the wires, and he's got to like move it because it's gonna catch the. Catch he's the wearing trip wire. the yellow case for it the entire movie. It's full of blue lights, blue lights and a compound bow. That's what he's carrying. That's all he needs. There was no there was no scene at the beginning where he's like sharpening the compound bow or whatever to let us know that it's there. That's the other scene this movie doesn't have yeah. is the like close ups on him buckling his belt and yeah, everything. Yeah, he's got to buckle his belt. He's got to put the knife in. He's got to zip up his pants like all that shit. Batman and Rambo always do that. <laughs> and in, instead of that scene, we get Rambo on top of a monastery looking sad. A thing that we did not need. <laughs> Character development. No? <laughs> oh, really getting inside the mind of John Rambo. That was what the whole first movie was about, getting in John Rambo's mind. And the subsequent two movies are all about getting out of John Rambo's mind. <laughs> This is such an interesting pivot for his character into quippy action hero. Yeah. Which was a kind of action hero you only got in the late 80s and early 90s. It was weird to hear him be funny in this movie. He was not funny in this movie. <laughs> you don't th think It Turns Blue is one of the great moments of... That's a great moment. Yeah. It's a belly laugh for sure. It's um, the, it's the tent pole of the movie. That was the director, the uh, the 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 second unit director that got upgraded to the big chair. Uh, thought that he would try and bring some levity to the character, yeah. and like reflecting back on it, said like it did not work. <laughs> that was funny though. Like surrounding himself. <laughs> but there were a couple of other attempts at being funny. Oh, when Troutman says. Uh, I'm sorry I got you into this. And he says, no, you're not. And it was like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, still like uh, like Schwarzenegger would have given that line a little spin. Yeah. Right. He would have put a little bit of juice on it. Stallone's just reading it off the back of a cereal box. <laughs> <laughs> Carrageen gum. 
He's kind of painted, <laughs> painted himself into a character corner, though, because of how he played it in the first two films. <laughs> Adam's just talking about character development. What do you mean? You don't think that John Rambo can grow? No. <laughs> I mean, that's another premise in the film is that Rambo is trying to fight this thing inside him. Like, Troutman is at peace with what he is. He's a stone-cold killer. I felt like that whole speech where Troutman's like, you can't change Rambo. You, you're This whole monastery thing, it's not going to work out. You need to accept that you're a killer. I've had that talk with my sister a few times. <laughs> but I felt like it was a bummer. I felt like he should let Rambo... Troutman is a I fucking so asshole. Yeah. Like... I, I I respect that Rambo went back for Troutman because it's kind of what Troutman did for Rambo in the first movie. But the speech where Troutman tries to pitch Rambo on coming on the mission makes me hate Troutman. It does me too. Yeah. Like Troutman's whole thing is that like they're just going to help, right? Like the the movie does not have the geopolitics of we're trying to prevent the Russians from having access to the Persian Gulf. It's just like the the Russians are being really mean to Afghanistan. Oh, it's the worst uh, because uh, because the way that that scene is framed, they talk about how the noble Afghani just want to practice their religion. They never mention Islam. They talk about religion and leave it as this kind of, um, uh, the American audience is just meant to think like, oh, there must be a kind of Christian that wears hats. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's absolutely no, but 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 it, they do this whole appeal. Our natural whole, like, allies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this whole like like we're going in there to help them because of religious freedom. You know, that's actually a part of that little yeah. speech, which is a thing that you know America always prided itself on well, having they, religious freedom be a part of our credo. And all of the like humanitarian elements, like when they go into the into the village and they say, this is the only doctor for 500 miles in any direction. Like they never get any supplies. And but the, the, like showing the kids with the mines. The Mujahideen were the element in Afghanistan that consistently undermined every attempt from 1919 to 1979, every attempt at liberalization, every attempt at educating girls, every attempt at creating an infrastructure. I mean, that the Mujahideen was the reactionary element in the country that that consistently fought against modernization. Right, because they like the Soviets sort of but went in. But isn't that because hard to do when you're always at war, defending your country? I mean, I don't want to both sides this, but I think. <laughs> Well, but the but the Mujahideen originally rebelled because there was like a communist revolution inside the country, like from the in the capital mm -hmm. that That's started right. like trying to modernize, like trying to modernize the economy. And they didn't want that. And in then 19, the Russians sent in the troops in 1919. <laughs> Afghanistan declared independence. This is a long time before uh, India and Pakistan were independent of of Britain. So they were, they were an independent nation under King Amunullah, King Amunullah Khan, who was then, uh, killed by his cousin, King Nadir Shah, who then was killed. And his son, Muhammad Zahir Shah ruled from 1933 to 1973 before being deposed by Daoud Khan, who abolished the monarchy in 1973. Nice move, Daoud. Yeah. Uh, but then he was deposed by the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan in April of 78, 
who attempted a whole Sovietization, yeah, like land reform and education for women, all these. But like, but basically, the, Bernie bro. Some plans. of the rebels were like Maoists, though. Like, like there were like there was like the communists in the capital, but then there were like Maoists in the in the uprising. Right, Maoists in the fields. <laughs> <laughs> Mouse in the streets and People's Democratic Republic of <laughs> Afghanistan in the sheets. <laughs> you nasty. <laughs> Any well, room are you in? <laughs> 409. <laughs> anyway, it's so disingenuous and not, but, but disingenuous even in the terms of the time. But it's crazy to watch, as I'm sure this is true for all of you who watched it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> to watch it and see every single element of, of what was being shown to us as the, the atrocities committed by the Soviets, all recapitulated by us like 12 years later. Yeah. Like every single thing. The, <laughs> every single element. I mean, even including the, uh, even the bad helicopters. The, no, there's a guy in the back that's like, what? <laughs> we have great fucking helicopters. You're right. You're right. We that's a good great, point. We do have great helicopters. Um, yeah, the uh, accusation that Troutman levels at the, uh, at the Russian colonel is that they're committing genocide. And that's like definitely a reason I would support sending a force in to stop a thing from happening. But... Is that is there actual evidence that the Russians were doing that, or is that just propaganda? I, I don't think. I mean, the the tribes were all fighting each other, and the Russians got in the middle of it, and a lot of those tribal conflicts continued, and they're kind of merciless with each other. But there was no like systematic genocide attempt. No, yeah. the Russians were trying to. Russians believed that they could win their hearts and minds. It's weird because he says like we like we already had our our Vietnam. Now you're doing genocide here. It's like wow, did Troutman <laughs> just kind of admit that <laughs> Vietnam was like a totally senseless bloodbath? <laughs> I mean, the filmmakers believed those elements to be true in the interviews that I watched and the materials that I read. So that's surprising. You don't you, that you don't think they were cynical. You that you thought that this was sincere. I did, and I think the the moment of greatest sincerity in the film is that one with uh, with Masoud, like when they're all working the uh, the jailbreak map with the rocks and stuff. That guy gives the speech about uh, about the genocide. I don't he know, looks so much really like affecting. Omar Sharif. All of the accents in this film are wild because none of them are native Afghan accents. Like, Masoud is a French actor, and then a bunch of others are from Israel. They're Israelis, right? Because uh, they shot a bunch of the film there. And a, and a Greek guy was like the, yeah. like the older Afghan warrior. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the Mujahideen was also played by Civil War reenactors in Arizona. <laughs> So, they, knew, they knew how to ride horses. A lot right? of a lot of guys in brown face in this movie. <laughs> and they far were enough all in the, the background, you can't too. Tell. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. Weird. All it needed was a Rickles. The thing that pissed me off the most <laughs> is that every single yes. <laughs> when they when they would greet each other in the film, they would say inshallah when what they would have said was salam alaikum. Yeah. Inshallah means God willing. God willing, yeah. Which is not a greeting or a farewell. You say inshallah if somebody says like, see you in a week, you go, 
it God can, willing. It can be a farewell. In uh, Inshallah is the aloha of that language. <laughs> it's not even though. <laughs> salam alaikum and alaikum salam are the ways that you say hello and goodbye and I, I love you and peace be with you and uh, go fuck yourself. It's also... Mm. It stands in for all those things. I went to a, a Muslim wedding this year, and they gave me a kufi hat to wear. And I walked back to my hotel, and Jesse Thorne and sent people you a kept text saying like, like "Assalamu alaikum" to me. And I was like, "Why do people keep saying that to me?" <laughs> <laughs> and then I got home, and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> but that's a crazy thing to miss if you're making a movie. Yeah, they don't have any like cultural inter. They probably had a like a. Like a guy telling them how to hold the guns right. Yeah. Well, there was a guy from Israel that was like, I think they say inshallah. <laughs> but a guy, a guy from Israel would know, you know, like a guy from Israel would totally we'll know. We'll just loop it later. Just move your face. Hey, wasn't there something we were supposed to loop? Uh, fuck it. Ship it. <laughs> Ship the movie. It's good. I think the reason, Adam, that you don't like this one as much as the second one is that the second one, Rambo's love interest is a is an attractive Vietnamese girl. And in this one, his love interest is a nine-year-old Afghani boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot it's a lot harder for you know to like really connect. Is that supposed to be Kobao's necklace that he gives the Yeah? Because it it's a different necklace. It is. <laughs> Did he like lose Kobao's necklace and just buy another one when he got to Bangkok? I think Rambo is lucky that Kobao died because he would be in a lot of hot water yeah. for losing that necklace. I love I love when he takes it off. He does that like nobody in an action movie ever went like, oh, I'm having trouble yeah. with the class. It's just, mm. <laughs> keep this for luck. Stallone did not get along with that short round kid. Really? At all. <laughs> Like, they hated each other. Really? Yeah. As the movie progresses, his bangs get more floppy, and he gets there. They spray him with baby oil. And I'm like, what are you trying to do with this kid? Like, <laughs> this looks like the cover of Tiger Beat magazine in 1979. Yeah. Looks like Leaf Garrett by the end, <laughs> especially with the necklace. The kid, oh, I'm sorry, the this Leaf Garrett material isn't going over very well. <laughs> The kid is also walking around at the end of the movie, which is like a day after he took a bullet in the leg. Right, like a 30 caliber, <laughs> which took nine tenths of his thigh away. Which also technically happened to Rambo, but for some reason we forgive that. Rambo is dying of sepsis at the end of the film, and yet he's got like, he just seems like he's about to get on a first class flight home. I think that's why he chooses not to stay and fight. I think he needs to go get medical attention at the end. <laughs> yeah. I had a really big piece of wood going through me a little while ago. Have I we think of all the of all the main Rambo films, I'm 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 not gonna talk about the fourth and the fifth Rambo films when I when or I the, make this or comment. The prequels. But, but yeah. This what about the, the cartoon? Is the cartoon considered canon? Yeah. What's canon to you? The, yeah, the cartoon is non-canonical. <laughs> what about all the fanfic that you wrote? You feel like <laughs> that is canonical. <laughs> if he, you can get the pages apart, right? Yeah. yeah. I knew that's what this show would be. Yeah. I'm surprised it took 40 minutes to get there. <laughs> He's really injured in this movie in a way that surprised me and continues to surprise me. 
In the first two films, he is incidentally injured, including the time he jumped off of a cliff and fell through an entire tree. (laughs) (laughs) He's really fucked up. Had we ever seen in an action movie before the fill the wound with gunpowder and cauterize it with a with a like a flame from that a campfire? That effect is amazing because yeah, the, really the flame comes out both sides. But like I have in my both mind, sides, John. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Everybody's really getting both sides, sides in this wound. one, but me. <laughs> uh, I have in my mind that that's what you do if you get impaled on a stick is you you like flame out your insides with the with the. With the brown brown or whatever. <laughs> Didn't oh, you man. think he was going to do a little brown brown to get into the moment? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But like, there's a lot of child soldiers in this film. Yep. Which is not really commented on or <laughs> criticized at all. But they but fight good. Is this, is this, well, yeah, they fight good. What do they have to lose, yeah. right? Uh, is this the movie where I got that? Or is this some kind of thing that I've never, I can't remember another action movie where it happens. I feel like this is like the, this is, that was like the big new thing that they did in this movie that was an action movie trope after it. Because on my disaster list, it's like, you know, like <laughs> store water, cook macaroni and cheese, and then remember to cauterize your wounds with, 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 with brown brown. He's covered in sewer water too. Right? Like he yeah. does not wash. Yeah, but he's got that canteen full of vodka but no no but they jump down they're in one of the harshest most desert climates in the world and they hot sewer they fall down into that hot sewer but all of a sudden all of a sudden they're like in the amazon i mean there's so much moisture down there every single well the russians have not traditionally practiced excellent water conservation you know but it's it's they're not letting it mellow it's like every guy on that base would have been standing right there and like (laughs) to get half that much moisture in there it had to all be diarrhea i believe that which is where you don't want to be with a stomach wound you sure don't Adam speaks from experience. Yeah. I've been, I've been waist deep in diarrhea before. <laughs> Not a good place. <laughs> what? Where would Rambo have learned to ride a horse? Horse camp. I mean, he, that's one of the moments of pedantry. Like, of course he knows how to ride an American horse. But the controls are different yeah, over yeah. there. The Russian... Oh, no, I guess it's a Mujahideen horse. Right, yeah. Well, oh, but we remember right from uh, from watching Genghis Khan that the horses in Central Asia are much smaller than yeah. Yeah, cowboy horses. They probably don't have horses big enough to hold up a beast like Rambo. <laughs> except <laughs> that guy's huge, Jerry. Except Stallone is like 5'6", right? So it all actually was pretty proportional. Okay, yeah. Good point, good point. I really love Sheep Horse the game, <laughs> and I love that it's a real thing. It's awesome. That was not a real sheep, though. No. That was no. like a lady's fur coat wrapped around a basketball. Well, It's there... a game you can eat at the end, though, and that's fun. <laughs> there were four different sheep. I believe there that was... sheep is in the danger zone, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that's that stunt where Stallone leans all the way off the horse and grabs the, uh, the like, the, the rug. That's real horsemanship that was, by that him. That was a killer stunt. Yeah. yeah. The stunts in this movie are good. The stunts in this movie are not good, the, but the, one of the other beautiful uh, scenes is when the Spetsnaz guys rappel down, yeah. like they free rope down into that cave with the, with the dust coming off of them. 
I don't know about beautiful, but it was, it was nice. But none of these things we're talking about cost any money. So there's still $59,900,000 to be accounted for. Stallone asked for a Gulfstream and received one as payment for his work in this film. So that might be a big portion wow. of that budget. A Gulfstream's like a $20 million airplane, right? Yeah, I think in... I think in 88, I read his version was the, the $16 million version. All right. I wonder if he still has it. Who wants an 88 Gulfstream? I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's got those like wheel covers. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's like Fucking Le eight track. Yeah, like <laughs> Lee Iacocca. I love that Ben thinks that 1988 was the eight track era. <laughs> All that stuff compresses into just the past for me. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I'm bad at this, guys. Is this a war movie? Yes. Is it enough about the, the war in Afghanistan for it to qualify? I think so. I, I mean, if you think about the war in Afghanistan as being a thing that is, that's been happening for... 2000 years this is just a this is a scene in it this definitely sets yeah it's a war movie the russians would describe their experience in afghanistan as a war yeah it's not a police action <laughs> they weren't as creative with their political bullshit as we were <laughs> one of the saddest parts in this film is i don't know which character says it but they're like you know this is an insane plan you have, John Rambo, but if it means that the world knows what's happening here and there's a chance of this news getting out and, and we're helped by it, then, then it's worth it to us. I mean, the world knows about this, this war, this unending war there, and what has been done about it. But, but John Rambo is explicitly on a secret mission that will be disavowed by everyone. So I think this character's talking has... about Troutman. Like, Troutman will go back to Washington. Troutman goes to Washington, uh, the name of my <laughs> unfinished screenplay. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was that actor's final film. He died almost immediately after yeah. the conclusion of this film, right? Further begging the question. No, sorry. Further asking the question... Why is he in this movie? He should be he should be home with a with a shawl over his knees. <laughs> but yeah, no, that whole all of that treacly stuff, all that like heart heart tugging stuff, it's not it's not believable for a second. No one is going to care about Afghanistan. You just have a heart of stone. I care about Afghanistan, unlike all of you. <laughs> I watch a Rambo film to feel something. Which is this? Which is the saddest line in this film? <laughs> All right, I think we should probably move on to the review section. Yeah, as if this hasn't been one big <laughs> curb stomp already. It's it's now my job to come up with a custom rating system, something that will make me feel better after this hour of stomps. I'm sorry, Adam. No, I, I don't take it personally. This has been fun, I guess. <laughs> oh hey before before you do the rating system i had one question is the guy that works in the gun store at the beginning the guy that was informing on them to the yes, soviets same guy okay also an israeli hmm. 
an Israeli actor who who his his bio said uh, possibly Armenian. <laughs> you really want to diversify the Afghani uh, bodega, like you want to sell legs and guns, right? Right. Yeah. Get you a bodega that can do both. <laughs> <laughs> That actor had some of the coldest, deadest eyes in any movie. That yeah. guy was great casting. He's really he's a famous actor in Israeli cinema. He played he like played so, he played some detective or some guy with a pork pie hat, like a signature hat. He was a signature hat actor. How about he detect whether or not he's a Armenian or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a clip for for my special rating system. This? What does this work? It's a blue light. What does it do? It turns blue. I see. <laughs> Hard to argue with that. <laughs> That's a scene and an object I think that perfectly illustrates this film. Like it's obvious what this is. It's not trying to say anything profound. It's an action film. And that's why I love it. Uh, as an action film, though, I feel like it is pretty great. Like, it, uh, it, it escalates throughout. Like, it starts small. I mean, it starts with a stick fight, so I guess that isn't small. <laughs> but it ramps up, and when that first siege on the fort fails, that's really surprising to me. We're about an hour into the film, the reason for being for John Rambo fails. You don't get the sense that there will be another shot, and then there is, and then that ending with the tank V helicopter. <laughs> I don't know anyone who is expecting that. <laughs> like there are a lot of there are a lot of action set pieces in this film that are laughable now, but I think at the time this was a really fresh and new take on the thing. And I admire it for that reason. I don't think it is a... I think the the parts of this film I don't like are how quippy they make John Rambo. I think the first blood John Rambo is my favorite. He's mostly quiet and thoughtful, I think. <laughs> that may just be a projection. But I think, uh, I think as he's evolved over the decades now, and that is a shocking thing to say and to think, like this is a character that has existed in four decades now. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is not the best Rambo film by any measure, but I don't think it's the worst either. I think this is gonna, I think this is gonna get like 3.8 blue lights. Wow. Yeah, I hate but to do it, I think. But all but, the uh, goo would leak out. Yeah, I know, yeah. It doesn't give me any joy to give it such a low score, but. <laughs> do, you, do you want to know what else starts slow and ramps up has an unexpected conclusion diarrhea <laughs> <laughs> oh i thought you were gonna do your review now <laughs> no, no no it's it's ben's turn <laughs> okay i'll go um as an action movie i think it isn't that great to me like i don't have the same 
connection to the character that you do. And the first time I watched this movie was in college right after we invaded Afghanistan. And I watched it with my friends as an ironic, like, holy shit, can you fucking believe this shit? And I found myself like, like, like that act fell on its face because the movie didn't impress us on its own merits. And it also like, was like, like the, you know, the tweet version of that as an idea is good, but like sitting there watching a two hour movie didn't work. Like we weren't able to like hold the irony in our, in our hearts for the entire runtime of the film. I would have hated you in college. (laughs) And you would have been my RA. (laughs) Hey man, I had to do work study. My parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, so I just don't have that much love for this movie and I don't, uh, I think, uh, I think I'm going to give it two and a half blue lights. Ouch. Are you going to limbo under that one? (laughs) (laughs) I, I went to see this movie in the theaters with the express intention of hate watching it (laughs) with my group of like leftist friends, but we weren't sophisticated leftists. We were just like trench leftists. We didn't, we had no irony. We just went to like hiss because not only was this movie the most expensive movie at the time, but this was one that made the newspapers for the, the most number of deaths and acts of violence at the time that they, they counted the number of deaths and it surpassed any prior death movie. Yeah, it was like in the Guinness book of world records as the most violent movie. Now, you know, we all see movies all the time where 500 million people die as an incidental side effect of Superman hitting light speed or whatever he's doing. <laughs> That's what he does. But at the time, At the time, it was shocking and dismaying. And also, we knew in 1988 that this was all baloney. We knew that Rambo was baloney because because he'd already won the Vietnam War, and we knew that was baloney. This whole thing was baloney. It was a big stack of baloney at a time when we were trying to eat less baloney. (laughs) Was it also malarkey? (laughs) (laughs) Malarkey is too gentle a word. No, this was at a time when chicken was health food. 1988, you know, when back when eight tracks were popular. <laughs> but no, I'm not entirely sure what an eight track is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a VHS tape with songs on it. Yeah. <laughs> What's amazing is that I have a I have a purple velvet bed that has an eight track player in the headboard. I've just never invited Ben to stay over. <laughs> I'll show you what it is. I've got a Seals and Crofts 8-track I'd like to play you. I think it is a bad adventure movie, a bad, a bad action movie, because the action is just so, like, lame. They spent $60 million on this. They should have been blowing up helicopters. You by, have to buy a Gulfstream first. By lame. Here's what I mean by lame. You get a bunch of people running, and then they blow up a bunch of gasoline in a trench. 
that's 50 feet away from those people. And with the focal length of the lens, they try to convince the 12 year olds in the theater that this, that those people were ever in jeopardy. We don't see a single guy in a fire suit going, we do not see any guy in a guy in a tower going over the rail, falling into the air mattress. We don't don't see anyone jump off a trampoline because an explosion happened behind him. We get no Wilhelm scream. Nope. Well, the scene where the Spetsnaz guy uh, falls down the rope, hangs, and then is blown up by a grenade. That's fun. It's a great idea, but we watch him fall, and then we get a close-up of his, just his face going. And then we see like a bag of sauce <laughs> blown up with an M80. Have you ever tried to mail a drum of sauce to Israel? Very expensive. Like, like the special effects. Customs are... is like, what is this? <laughs> also, was the Spetsnaz guy named Spetsnaz? <laughs> the guy was like, Spetsnaz, where are you? And it's That's like, what I thought. Have you ever seen a film where a guy's like, Navy SEALs, come in, Navy when SEALs. When Spetsnaz is your name, there's only one career track for you. <laughs> <laughs> Let us name our baby Spetsnaz. <laughs> So one day he will have a job. Maybe it's like the purloined letters of radio codes, like he's hiding in plain sight. (laughs) (laughs) But so the special effects are are lame. It's it's the total like helicopter flies behind a hill and then boom. And then we see the the same helicopter five minutes later and they painted the five into an eight. And it's just like... This is no good. It's like one no good after another. It seems the like it was an a, a plus. <laughs> it seems like it was a cursed production. When 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 Rambo at the very beginning is stick fighting that guy in Thailand, and the guy is clearly like an MMA fighter, and he's doing all kinds of kicks and stuff, and it, and he, Rambo is totally beat by this guy, and then whatever he comes back, he Rockies back, and at one point we're given an MMA move by Rambo. And it looks like this. He goes. <laughs> he can't get his leg up. For the home listener, John just did a pirouette on stage. <laughs> like the other guy is like is like face kicking him. He's like he's doing this stuff where he's taking a hair off of Rambo's ear with his foot. And Stallone can't get his foot up above the guy's belt. It's rarely leg day for Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> He needs to, you know, we saw him do all that core work in Rocky or in Rambo or whatever, yeah. Rocky 3. Anyway, if, Rocky the, four, John. if the special effects had been good, if there had been, you know, the, all these deaths and not any really good gore, and I hate gore, but like one guy at least, <laughs> I can't stand people running and then gas in the foreground going off. I just, it just is a, it's a mood killer for me. It's over. You might as well go home. I'm going to give this one blue light. One unbroken blue light that's not even blue yet. So when the guy goes, what does it do? Rambo goes, oh. It's a a stated rule on Friendly Fire that we don't compare films to other war films. And... uh, I, I have to now. I feel like that's one of the lowest reviewed live friendly fire films you've ever done. Can't believe it. Well, it averages out like all of our films to four because you keep giving them all. <laughs> that's what I do. It's, cr- 
<laughs> when we watch the fourth Rambo film, that will be an appropriate score. Yeah. <laughs> Come back next year to San Francisco Sketch <laughs> Wait, this is the only place that will allow us to do a Friendly Fire live show. Yeah. What is the fourth Rambo movie? It's just called even, Rambo. I didn't even know there was one. What does yeah. it do? Where does it go? The moon? Is it Laos? He goes, he goes to Myanmar. Oh, Myanmar. Myanmar. Or oh. Burma. There's a, oh. scene, there's a scene in that movie where he gets up in the bed of a pickup truck that has one of those bed-mounted machine guns and yeah, turns Toyota it on Hilux. the guy driving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know and what? You if just you see would, his body like Swiss You would cheese love it, apart. John. My, my intro to that will be four hours long. <laughs> Uh, I think we should probably transition to the part of the evening where we select a guy. Yeah, we've got to do that, but I've already forgotten the order. Whose guy goes first? I'll go first. Um, My guy is Sweat. (laughs) And I've selected a clip that just shows how sweaty Rambo gets in this movie. closer it gets, the more sweat you see. I mean, the character development is really on display. (laughs) That physique. Yeah. Sweat is your guy. Sweat is my guy. <laughs> my theory is that what they did was they put they rubbed Vaseline all over his body and then they sprayed him with like a with like a spray bottle so that it beads up on the surface of his skin like that. That's just my theory. Mm. Yeah. You should uh, you should try that out at home. See if it holds up. It works. <laughs> it's how my aloe plant survives the winter. <laughs> Uh, John, did you have a guy? Yeah, I have a I have a guy that I feel like is uh, is, is emblematic of the kind of um, action movie that uh, this is. <laughs> At a certain point, Rambo scales a so he's failed his first assault, and he's uh, and he made it out through the sewers, and he sends the the rest of his squad of injured nine-year-old Leif Garrett (laughs) and Israeli mustache actor. He sends them off, and then he's going right back at them. He doesn't, like, nap or anything. He doesn't eat a beef jerky. And he goes and immediately free climbs a thousand-foot wall. Is that where you got the idea for Cliffhanger? (laughs) And the whole thing is just, like, we don't even really ever see a very many wide shots. It's just like all that super close-up of him flaring his nostrils. And then we get to the top, which inexplicably has a basically an anti-aircraft nest, an anti-aircraft gun nest uh, to guard against like the Pashtun Air Force. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a guy sitting there like not at his post, not even smoking a cigarette. He's like, uh, he's, he, you know, he had like a Twitter. Yeah. He had a, box of Mike and Ikes and he's separating them by color. <laughs> and Rambo comes over the, the rock face, you know, gets himself up and the guy then realizes that Rambo is there. 
They are separated by eight to 10 feet. The machine gun is eight to 10 feet away that way. And the guy's instinct is not to adopt a defensive posture, nor is it to throw the box of Mike and Ike's at him <laughs> and run. His instinct is to go toward the machine gun, which has a barrel that is eight to 10 feet long and swing it around to catch Rambo in its sights. Let's take a look at my clip. Bad instinct. You see, he's got the he's got the the thing over his shoulder there. That's his uh, his bow and arrow kit. Blue I was too distracted. I was yeah. too distracted by that guy's motivation to notice. <laughs> what did he? What was he going to do with that gun? That guy did not do the math on that correctly. <laughs> He's thinking like, well, if this guy's coming over the wall, we must be under attack. <laughs> Adam, did you have a guy? I sure did. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, that my co-hosts know about me but don't appreciate is how. <laughs> <laughs> so many things, really. <laughs> uh, I can be fairly indecisive as a person, and we've occasionally had to make some uh, big decisions about this show, and uh, they've been difficult for me uh, over the last year and a half. But there is a moment in this film that, uh, that I feel like is speaking directly to me. A character is asked a question. This character thinks a long time before giving their answer. I believe we have a clip. You sure you don't want to stay? You fight good for a tourist. Maybe next time. You want this back? No. You keep it. Can you not stay? Ben had to do very little work to make that scene any longer than it actually was in the film. There is a cut of this film where John Rambo chooses to stay and fight with him. Wow. And it's just Troutman that drives off. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, but the theatrical version gives us this, this long moment of thought. And I was like, John Rambo's my guy. He needs some time to think before making a decision. You picked John Rambo as your John guy. Rambo is my guy. Wow. Well, that's our show. Uh, we got some thanks. Uh, we want to thank James on sound, Lauren, the house manager, Ariel, who's working in front of the house. Thanks to all of you guys for coming out on a Thursday night. Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you. And... Uh, 
Thank you to our producer, Rob Schulte, who's Rob. working it. There he is. That's our show. We're Friendly Fire. We'll be uh, out shaking hands in a little bit. Thank you so much, San Francisco. Friendly Fire's Pork Chop Feed is a maximum fun podcast. It's hosted by Ben Harrison, Adam Pranica, and John Roderick. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our logo art is by Nick Dittmore. Our theme music is War by Edwin Starr, courtesy of Stone Agate Music. Make sure to use the hashtag Friendly Fire when posting about the show on social media. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, John is at John Roderick, and I am at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks so much for supporting Friendly Fire. Tell a friend. We'll see you next month with another Pork Chop film. <laughs>